So we're um, again looking into uh, God's Word in the New Testament of the Bible uh, in 1 Corinthians, a letter we've been studying for a few months now. We're in chapter 15. Uh, it's on page 1156 in the Bibles nearby if you want to be uh, following them. Uh, we won't read the whole uh, passage just now, but uh, you'll notice if you're really observant and you've got there yet that the first word of verse 35 is but. I'm not going to say a lot about that, but it's uh, suggesting that actually verse 35 might not be a good place to start because uh, you shouldn't start things in the middle, uh, shouldn't start something with but in the middle of a sentence, so I'm told. So I wanted to just have a little bit of a recap, especially if you've missed some of the last uh, few weeks, uh, on where we've got to in this chapter 1 Corinthians 15. It's a very important chapter, uh, actually, in the whole of the New Testament, it's uh, one of the, St. Paul, Paul the Apostle, who wrote it, one of his most famous uh, chapters, if you like. It would go down in there. In, now, that's what I call New Testament chapters or you know, Paul, Paul's greatest hits or whatever you would like to call it. It's one of the longest chapters in uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, and some people think that what this chapter is about is actually the main point of the book. Um, different people have different ideas on that, but it's clearly very important. Now, Paul got to write this chapter for a reason. And the reason was that there were people in the church at Corinth, this community of believers he was writing to, who were saying, who were teaching, in fact, that there was no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. This life, they said, was all there was to it. They were believers, they were followers of Jesus, but somehow they just thought, this life is it. There's nothing more uh, to bother about, nothing more to look forward to. And, and Paul is writing to try and help uh, sort, sort that out uh, for them. Now, I wonder why they could be saying that. What would make them say that thing? Why should the people in that church be saying that there's no resurrection? Well, we don't know for sure, but there's a few possible reasons. First of all, it could be just the way everybody around saw it. Everybody around them didn't think that, that bodies raised from the dead. Uh, that was the idea that, you know, uh, after death you didn't have an afterlife, or if it was, it was some kind of Hades, you know, um, half-life. And so the Corinthians were taking that idea on board. It could be that they were kind of figuring um, in their thinking. You see, the Corinthians, as we would have noticed from our studies, uh, they were really into what you might call high-octane spiritual life. They, they were very kind of excited about how you know, eternal life was, was with us now, and they, they saw themselves as really spiritual and really powerful. That's why uh, they loved the gift of tongues so much, which they probably called the tongues of angels. Remember Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I speak with the tongues of angels. And they had this idea that, that their spiritual experience was kind of putting them already, you know, if they, you know already they had it. You know, they didn't, there was nothing more to come, because they were so spiritual, they were so high-powered. You know, it was all here and now. Uh, we've already seen in this book that some of them saw their bodies as just not important. Uh, because they said, well, we're already in the heavenly life. So the body is, well, we don't want anything to do with it. it, it it's, you know, it's disgusting. It's horrible. Um, so you remember in 1 Corinthians 7 that some of them were saying, you know, you shouldn't be having sex in marriage, they were saying. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not it at all. But they, they thought that because they thought, well, they were like kind of in heaven now. And so the body was was horrible and had nothing to do with, with, with anything. 
Mind you, others of them in the same congregation took the kind of opposite view. They thought that because the body didn't matter anymore, because they were already kind of in a heavenly existence, they could do whatever they liked with their bodies. And so they were sleeping around it, and we saw all of that. But whatever the reason was, there were people in Corinth who thought that being resurrected as a body was just not part of their view. And Paul starts off, do you remember, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians by reminding them of the gospel that he brought to them. He reminds them of the truths they believed, the truths that saved them. And he tells them in the early verses of 1 Corinthians that that gospel was based around Jesus Christ, based around his death and his resurrection. Remember Lou was sharing with us two weeks ago that that gospel about Jesus, about his life, his death and his resurrection is the gospel, the good news that we share, that we believe. And Jesus' death and his rising again from the dead is at the heart of that good news that we believe. And he says in those early verses as well, do you remember? That it was according to the scriptures. Jesus being raised from the dead is not just kind of some kind of random, unusual phenomenon. It's according to the scriptures. It's part of God's plan. There's this salvation movement, this great kind of uh, plan that God has, God has put into uh, uh, progress right through the Old Testament and in Jesus. And, and Jesus' life, death, resurrection is all part of it. And so Paul challenges the Corinthians. He says to them, look, if you believe that message, when I came and told you about Jesus being, uh, dying for you and being raised from the dead for you, if you believe that... If that message brought you salvation, God's life, God's forgiveness, if you believe that about Jesus, how can you possibly be saying that bodies won't be raised? Because you believe Jesus was raised, he says, don't you? (laughs) And then he says, and if Jesus hasn't been raised, then we really are in very big trouble as Christians. And we read about that in verse 17. I just want to just dip into here, verse 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, it's useless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, that's a way of saying those who have died, are lost. See, we're in big trouble in two areas. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, we've still got the problem of being separated from God because of our sin. And those who've died already have got nothing. They're finished. They're gone. They're lost if Jesus hasn't been risen, uh, hasn't been raised from the dead. And he goes on in verse 19 to say what? If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. He said, if the Christian faith, if all that you believed, if the good news that has transformed you is just for this life, dear, oh dear, that's a bit sad. We're in a right mess, says Paul, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. And then verse 20, as we saw last week, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Jesus has been raised. And it means something. And as he talks to them, as as Peter led us through it last week, uh, we we heard that that this big salvation movement of God is on on the march, as it were. Jesus has been raised. And more than that, it means something. It has great significance. Now, the problem with the Corinthians was what? Well, they'd forgotten, hadn't they, how big God's salvation, what God had done for them, 
really is. They've been caught up. They were so kind of concerned about their own little issues. You know, the divisions in their church around their favorite celebrity teacher. Their comfort and their nice lives. They're being like everyone around them. The, the kind of fashion statements that they were making when they led worship. Remember that about how when they led worship, men put their, got their heads covered and, uh, and women didn't? They were so concerned about, they, all that mattered to them was the dinners that they could have in their temples. They didn't care about the immorality around them at the time. All they were bothered about was, was taking each other to court and, and their petty rights over kind of uh, um, issues they had with each other. No, they were more interested in their sexual preferences and what they could do and what they couldn't do. Or their favourite look good spiritual gifts must have, as we saw in those last few chapters. And all of that meant they were missing this big picture of what God had really done for them in rescuing them. Now, do we forget sometimes how big God's salvation really is? He's done something huge that we're part of, if we're believers. That, is, that what he's done is not just for now, but for the future, way beyond this life. And you know, we can lose sight of that too easily, can't we? And the resurrection of Jesus gives us a kind of window to, to look through and to see a bit more clearly how big what God has done is for us. And we're going to look through the window in these few minutes and we're looking at stuff, it's a long way off, and, and it's things that we can hardly get our minds around. But we can see enough to get the direction of where God is taking us and get us back on track. You see, verse 20 says that Jesus' resurrection is not just about him. Remember, Peter last week helped us greatly. He talks about the first fruits. Do you remember that last week, the first fruits, that festival in the Old Testament? where people um, brought the first part of the harvest to God. And it was uh, a sign, indeed a guarantee, that there was more like that to come, much more of it. And Paul says here that Jesus is the first fruits. It's not just about him, but it's also about us. Because as we heard last week, we're in him. Remember the envelope and the paper in the envelope. If you weren't here, you must get that CD or you must listen to it online. It was a great message. We're in Christ. We're in the envelope. And so the resurrection of Jesus is not just about him. It's about us as well because we're in him. And Paul says that the human race forms around Adam. Adam, the first human being, brought death to everyone by disobeying God. Jesus' resurrection now becomes the central turning, life, turning point rather, as a new humanity is formed around Jesus. This new movement bringing God's life into human experience. A movement which will eventually defeat death completely, as we saw last week. So there really is more to being a Christian than what we know of God in this life. And you know, we as Western comfortable Christians need to get hold of this means a great deal to people who suffer. Sometimes we have it so easy that we think this life is great, you know, we forget anything else. There's more to being a Christian than what we know of God in this life. There's a future that is amazing. Let's find out how amazing it is.
Let's have uh, these verses read to us. I'm just take my voice. Going to have a break. Thanks, James. So this is 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Thank you. Let's go have a drink of water. I should have taken that with me. So then in verse 35, Paul imagines a question being asked. It's probably one that he's kind of um, speculating on rather than one that's actually been asked to him. What's the question? Well, he imagines somebody saying, well, look, how can the dead be raised? What are you talking about, Paul? I mean, what kind of body can they possibly have? You know, everyone then, as now, knows what happens to bodies, especially in the Middle East. They go off pretty quick, don't they? You know, they start kind of, you know, disappearing and and so on and so forth. No doubt you may have watched some of these, anyway, TV programs that go into all that kind of stuff. Bodies rot, somebody says. There's this big problem with your idea, Paul. And Paul is very blunt. Uh, the NIV is quite polite in the way it translates it here. Verse 36, how foolish. Actually, Paul says, stupid. You know, don't, don't be so stupid, he's saying here, actually. He says, look, open your eyes. Just, op- just hold on a minute. Before you dismiss it out of hand, just open your eyes to what you see all around you. And in verses 36 to 38, he says, as you open your eyes, you will see that all around you, transformation happens. Look what happens when a seed is planted, just a regular little seed. Well, it shrivels. It doesn't look too good, does it? It doesn't look too healthy. It doesn't look too fine. But, he says, something new comes up from it. Something that is linked to the seed, but something that's completely different to it. It's transformed. It's just a little illustration, he says, of what happens every time you plant a seed. A little kind of miracle takes place. Paul is saying, look, no, don't be ridiculous. I'm not talking about, you know, dead bodies suddenly being kind of reanimated like, you know, zombies walking. Why do zombies always walk around like this? Like zombies walking around, you know, scarcely able to live and breathe and move and whatnot. No, he says, "This this is something different, very different. 
This is resurrection. Something that you just see a tiny picture of each time you take a seed and stick it in the ground and it shrivels away and dies, but out of it comes, woo, something very, very different, but connected to it. And then in verses 39 to 41, he talks about how life takes on various forms. There's various ways in which life happens, if you like. Life gets done. So he says to them, look, there's all this variety around you. So why should you have a problem if I'm talking about a different kind of life in the future? He said, people have one kind of life, animals have a different kind of life, fish have a different kind of life, birds have a different kind of life, but they're all living, but in different ways, ways that are suitable to the, to the way they're meant to live. So fish are really great in water, aren't they? They're, they're designed for it. Their kind of fishy life is just right for, for where they are. He says, so, so, so what's your problem with seeing that there could be another kind of life? you can't even dream of it's possible it's not inherently impossible not with God who gives that life anyway the God who makes the seed who's designed it and who is at work somehow through all these processes and so on but still God giving that life and he goes on to say in verse 42 that the resurrection so will it be with the resurrection of the dead A future life with Jesus is going to be like that. There is a transformation and a new kind of life altogether. And in verses 42 to 43, he spells out what the transformation of these bodies is going to be like. Look at verse 42. It's sown perishable, it's raised imperishable. What goes into the ground, what dies decays. It's uh, worn out. He said it's dishonoured at the end. It's not much honour in some ways inherently in a corpse, is there? We give honour because of the person who we loved, who, who I suppose in one sense was there in that corpse once, but once they're dead, that's it. We treat it with dignity, but inherently in and of itself, there's no honour. There's no power. There's nothing weaker, in that sense, than someone who's dead. But Paul says, but look how it's raised. That same body, in some ways, is raised in in power, in glory. Imperishable. Like Jesus, just as it happened to Jesus... Jesus wasn't some kind of floating spirit, was he, after the resurrection? He had real bodily life. He cooked fish. He ate some honeycomb. He could be touched by his disciples. His resurrection body wasn't some kind of kind of floaty thing. It was real. So Paul is saying that, that there's this future life that is bodily and real but very, very different. There's a transformation that's going to happen. And then verse 44, he talks about this new kind of life. He goes on about what's sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. Now, this is a bit tricky. It's not easy for us to get this in the NIV or actually in English generally, apparently. Because we think, he says it, it's, it's, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. Now when we think of those words, spiritual and body, 
we've got a problem, haven't we? Because, you know, spiritual to us, usually in our heads, that we think is not kind of physical. It's kind of, as I say, a bit kind of floaty and wafty. In fact, spiritual body seems to be almost a contradiction in terms, in the way that we think. And Paul is saying, no, that's not it. Let me, let me try and help you. I'm going to share an illustration that's not mine. It's a great one. It's from Tom Wright. From, uh, if any of you read his books on the New Testament, they're extremely helpful. This is Tom Wright's illustration. Imagine you're at a, a car show. And you go to the car show, you know, and a, and a brand new model is unveiled at that show. It looks the same as most other cars, basically, but the, the designer starts telling you about it, and he tells you, look, this car, <laughs> it's really completely different. It runs on something that isn't petrol or diesel or, or anything that we've ever thought of before. It's actually running on a, a fuel that never runs out. It's actually, it actually the, the thing that it's run on doesn't just kind of run the engine, which isn't like a normal engine, but maybe similar. Um, uh, it, it somehow preserves the stuff that the car is made of, see? It's got this kind of life and fuel in it. Paul is saying that our bodies, when they will be raised, will be given spiritual life. We'll be, be running, as it were, on spiritual life, not natural life. We will be like Jesus' body after his resurrection. Very, very different, but also very connected with what we've been before. Do you get the point? Jesus is like the prototype. He's not saying what this body's made of that's different. It's what it's kind of animated by, what kind of fills it with life. And Paul talks about that in these next few verses. He says the natural body is animated by natural life. He quotes Genesis where where when God um, creates uh, Adam, he breathes into him and he becomes a living being. This kind of life which is a natural life that God has given, uh, natural things. And Paul says this natural body gets its nature, its life force from Adam. And we all share that as human beings. We are living beings in that sense because we're kind of in the same race as Adam. We've kind of inherited that life that comes through us. We live until the point we die. We have that kind of, we're living beings. And we're connected to what Paul calls the first Adam or the the first man here. But then Paul talks about another Adam, Jesus, the last Adam who gives his spiritual life to us. And we have a taste of that life now when we come to know him, when the Holy Spirit lives in us. But at the resurrection, our future spiritual body is revealed, and we're animated there not by natural life, like the old kind of Adam way, but by spiritual life. That's what he's saying. Something completely different, something amazing, something wonderful. And who's going to be involved in this? Well, verse 48... Those, as was the earthly man, that's Adam, so are those who are of the earth, as is the man from heaven, who's that Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. People are described, some people are described as being of heaven. Just as in verse, um, earlier on in this passage, 
When Paul talks about the end, he talks about Jesus coming for those who belong to him. Or he uses that phrase, fallen asleep in Christ. So being a Christian then, knowing Jesus is not just about this life. There's a new life coming that is more real than this. Not floating around some vague kind of ethereal place, but a real resurrection body in a new creation. Bodies that are made to live in a new way, able to love God, to serve him, to glorify him, to rule on his behalf, to judge angels, whatever that means. Paul says that earlier on in 1 Corinthians. So look at verses 47 to 49. Paul goes back to these two men, the first man and the second man. See that? These two men, in inverted commas, around which humanity is formed. A man of dust, Adam, and a man of heaven, Jesus. Paul says, we share the man of dust image. We've got that life from Adam. That's what makes us human beings. That's what keeps us alive until we finally go. We drop dead or whatever. And we share that as human beings. We share the man of dust's image. But, but we as believers have got to know the man of heaven. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said, unless a man or a woman is born from above, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Becoming a Christian is being born from heaven, being born again. Something of the life of God coming into our experience. And so we are, we know, we've, we've come to know the man of heaven, Jesus. And we share something, a little bit of that life of Jesus now in our inner beings. Remember the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit as the down payment, the first fruits of what's to come in the future. All that we know in our spiritual life now is just a little bit of what's to come in the future. One day we'll be living life with God in bodies designed for that life. And you know, it's more than we can possibly imagine. As I said, it's like looking through a, a window at something like quite a long way off and you can just see the shape of it. You see, it's going to be pretty darn good, <laughs> but it's quite difficult to get all the details of it because it's going to blow our minds probably if we did. We will bear the image of the heavenly man. We will be like him. And that amazing future with Jesus Christ is certain because he's been raised from the dead. He's the head of a new movement, a new creation, a new humanity. And if we're believers, we are that new humanity. Have you realised, have I, because it's easy to forget, how big the salvation God has given you really is? Have you received that gift of salvation into your life? Have you been born from above? Because if you haven't, you're not going to get this future experience at all. You'll be separated and away from God. Do we realise, do you realise, do I realise that we're part of this movement? Have you grasped where we're heading? <laughs> How big it is? towards his future life with God. Now, when do we need to grab this? We need to grab hold of it when the road is tough, don't we? There's more to it than this life. We need to hold on to it when the end is in sight. 
or, or when it's over too soon. You know, some of us can think of people that we know and it's been over too soon. But it isn't over. There's much more. You know, that feeling we might get when we, we, we lose someone so young. Or maybe as those, you know, so there aren't many students here today. Students, hard to get your, uh, get your heads around this, I know. But, you know, the day will come when you look back over your life. I, as I, I'm, beginning, I'm beginning to sense that. 56, I'm 56. That's not much longer left, really, I suppose. Well, isn't there, shouldn't there be more to this? Shouldn't there be more than this? I know, you're thinking, 56, you're lucky. <laughs> I know. But, you know, we get to a point where we think, I'm not going to be able to achieve everything for God that I'd like to. It's going to be over too soon. Well, it isn't over, because there's something big coming in the future. We need to grab it when the limitations are biting. Again, students, you won't understand this, but a day comes when you're just aware that your body is decaying and it's falling apart. And when that day comes, we need to realise that there's more to look forward to. So look forward to it. Remember what's to come. Look forward to it. Know that he is going to take you into that because you belong to him. And if you do fall asleep, not in church, but if you fall asleep in Christ, as Paul says, if death comes and it has come and it will come uh, to all of us until Jesus returns, it will be in Christ that we are asleep. We're with him. We belong to the man of heaven. And you and I will bear his image forever. How about that? Let's just rejoice in that and grab hold of it. And live it for his glory. It's bigger than you think.